Two elements were remarkable on that night. The brightness of the full moon and the gusting of the west wind. The moonlight painted everything in a grayish-yellowish-white. The wind carried coolnesses of the distant great sea. The inverse of the moon were the dark shadows cast along the walls, along the grounds, along the high towers of Herod's temple. The breeze carried with it not only its coolness, but also the sounds and smells of humanity, of the beleaguered city preparing to murder its quite recent hero. Can you see the way the full moon shines over Jerusalem? Can you hear the sound, smell the scents of the west wind? Look, through the trees, down along the footpath old as David, comes the son of David now, the incarnate son of God. His hands are bound. He is surrounded by a group of soldiers. The moon and the wind are upon his face and his hair. For thus they marched Jesus away from Gethsemane, to the high priest in whose presence all the chief priests and elders and scribes had assembled. This downward walk was mostly silent, save for the sound of the men's breaths, the footfalls of their feet, the songs of the morning doves in the trees. The walls of the city are ghostly white in the moonlight before them. Beyond, the city is quieting down to its rest. Nearly none can be seen in the silent streets. Except, if you'd looked more closely, you might have seen groups of shadows moving swiftly toward the high priest's palace, toward his upper chamber. These shadows are black against the white walls of the temple, their silhouettes noticeable for the sizableness of their silky flowing robes, their prominent phylacteries. Behold, these are the arbiters of religion, the protectors of their God, on their way to decree the righteous execution of their God. And who's this? Creeping along behind Jesus and the soldiers. He stays to the shadows and weaves in and out of the tree line. Ah, it's Simon Peter, with a blooded sword at his side. He only just, lest we forget, cut off a man's ear trying to protect Jesus. Yes, Peter followed Jesus at a safe distance. A safe distance, let it be heard, though at least he did follow. Right up to the high priest's courtyard. When the gate was opened for him, he saw John, son of Zebedee, his old friend, already in there, for John knew someone on the high priest's staff from his earliest childhood. And there in the courtyard, Peter sat in the firelight with the servants, somewhat removed from John, keeping himself warm. Meanwhile, up above, up in the upper chamber of the high priest, a series of whispered conversations and argued false starts can be overheard. Let's listen in to their concluding logic. Listen, a voice is saying. There have to be two witnesses to validate the blasphemies. Which we have, another voice interrupts. Yes, but look at them, a third voice says. 
One is clearly here for drink money, and the other is obviously crazy. The word of the law is that these witnesses must be sound. Let them speak. It's not right. Just let them. On and on this sort of thing goes. You see, the chief priests and the whole council were trying to find some reasonable law-conforming evidence against Jesus which would warrant the death penalty. It had ceased to matter to them that, according to the Talmudic writings of the Makoth, they were on the edge of being accounted murderers, practically outlaws. Their hate for Jesus had just risen too high by now. And even yet, they failed completely. There were plenty of people ready to give false testimony against him, but their evidence, at best, was absolutely, totally contradictory. Then some more perjurers stood up and said, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that was built by human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human aid. Which, by the way, he had said. But even so, their evidence of his words conflicted. So the high priest himself got up and took the center of the floor. A hush filled the room as the movement of this great man. He stepped down from his throne, shook out the folds of his robe, descended the steps onto the tile floor, and then stood quite regally opposite the criminal. Have you no answer to make? He asked Jesus loudly. What about all this evidence against you? But Jesus remained silent and offered no reply. He simply looked into the eyes of the high priest. It was a curious thing for him, standing before a man who he'd created, who he'd designed, waiting upon that man to pass his sentence upon him. Again and again the high priest asked him, Are you Christ, Son of the Blessed One? Again and again the same. Are you Christ, Son of the Blessed One? Well, are you? Are you? And so finally, with his gaze perfectly steady, looking into the eyes of that man, Jesus said, I am. Yes, you will all see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of heaven. It was like a lightning strike had struck the room. The high priest tore his robes and cried out, screaming, Why do we still need witnesses? You heard the blasphemy. What is your opinion now? At which point, the flash of that lightning was accompanied by the sound of its thunder. Their unanimous verdict was that he deserved to die. And thus it was decided there in the upper chamber. Then very orderly, the members of the council all rose from their chairs and assembled themselves in a ring around the now condemned. Their self-righteousness was mounting up into a, a terrifying atmosphere, like a fog. Its palpability seemed to fill the place. And then some of them began to spit at him. And their spittle hung from his hair, his cheeks, his beard. 
and a pair of servants then approached, and they blindfolded him, and the council took turns slapping him, saying these words malevolently, Now, prophesy who hit you. And even those servants who took him away slapped his face. This was all upstairs, in the upper chamber. What has been happening down below there? Well, in the meantime, while Peter was in the courtyard, John off in the distance, one of the high priest's maids came and saw him warming himself. She had just been upstairs bringing cups of water to the council members who were hot with their rage, and now she herself came outside for some fresh air. She stood near to the fire, holding her hands outward. She looked over closely at Peter, leaning a little bit nearer, squinting her eyes, and said, You were with the Nazarene too, with Jesus. As she said this, she pointed up, up toward the chamber. But Peter, without lifting his eyes from the firelight, denied it quite neatly, saying, I don't understand. I don't know what you're talking about. And he walked out into the gateway in a cock crew. And the crowing of that bird meant nothing to him. Perhaps 30 more minutes pass. And again, the maid who had noticed him began to say to the men standing there, she pointed over toward his figure leaned in the shadow of the gateway. That man is one of them. Her absolute certitude sent them walking over to confront him. But he, for his part, denied it again. He tried to appear unconcerned, even rejoining the circle by the fire. Everyone was beginning to look a bit sleepy as the nighttime moved toward morning. The moon was dropping low now. A few minutes later, some of the bystanders themselves said to Peter, Listen. You certainly are one of them. Why, you're even a Galilean. Peter, feigning offense, jumped to his feet. He started to curse and swear at them. The language of his lips was shocking to hear in the high priest's court. Then he concluded, I tell you, I don't know the man you're talking about. and immediately the cock crew for the second time. And immediately, back into Peter's mind, came the words of Jesus from earlier. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And immediately he broke down and wept, and disappeared out of the high priest's courtyard. More than 30 years later, John Mark, the friend of Simon Peter, after writing of this scene, begins looking out the window. He is thinking of Peter's face whenever he heard Peter tell this story himself, particularly how his eyes looked. How they grew narrower and narrower as he told of each betrayal. How he spoke of cursing those men and women ringed round the firelight. How the telling of his fleeing from the scene, running out into the dark of Jerusalem, pained him, broke his heart. 
John Mark sighs. But then, oh, the joy. Oh, the sheer glorious, everlasting wonder of watching the light rekindle in Peter's eyes. How he went on to tell the story of the beach on that cool Galilee morning and the walk he took with the risen one. Of how the eyes of Jesus, marvelous in their gracious loving kindness, set him free from each of those dark of night betrayals. How they stood upon the shingle of that shoreline and embraced how Peter carried with him all the weightiness of that freedom. John Mark smiles remembering. He smiles remembering both Jesus and Peter.